Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And this show might be a weird one. Uh, we have some house cleaning stuff. Take care of first. Then we talk about a new slash old format in Explorer. And I guess we also need to talk about whether or not we're going to be here next week. Are you, are you sick? What's happening, Gerald? I'm, I'm concerned now. Is this from like an existential sense or? At, at this point, I've been awake for 48 minutes okay. and I feel great. Oh, well, that's that's good. So, yeah, I have I have a Red Bull in front of me. I have taken my prescribed Adderall for my ADHD. I feel wonderful. So I'm not sick. Okay. While the doom and gloom surrounding your possibility of being here next week. Well, I'll be here. <laughs> it's just whether or not uh, anything happens as a result of that. I'm not going anywhere, but you okay. are. You're attempting to go to New Zealand. Don't don't put negative energy out there. I'm going to. You make are it, going to New. I'm going to make it to New Zealand. There are some uh, travel hurdles. Uh, the, New Zealand is still pretty, you know, strict about their COVID protocols. All of which I I obviously comply with. You know, very vaccinated, all that stuff. But uh, their their testing requirement has some like very precise windows that you really have to nail. So. Hopefully that goes well, and that relies on all my flights being like timely. So maybe maybe a little cause for trepidation. I have faith, though. We're going to make it through. We're going to make it to New Zealand safely. It's going to be a good time. So say you're flying from like New York to, I don't know, Richmond. Yes. And they required you to get a negative COVID test within. Well, they wouldn't do that in a million years, but but okay. We can I know, but I'm fantasy. just saying, you know, it's yep. like, oh, you have, you have, you know, 48 hours for a PCR or 24 hours for a rapid test before your flight takes off. Yeah. No big deal, right? Of course. But when you're going to New Zealand and you have to go New York to LAX, they require you to have that before you get on the New York flight, but also you it still needs to be in the time window before you leave LAX. Correct. And the New York flight happens so early that nothing is open, basically. So I can't do a test before. And the LAX flight happens so late that the time windows start to get crunched where I, I can't get it done within 24 hours. So basically, like my options are very limited. I have to get a specific rapid PCR test because PCR tests last for like 48 hours as opposed to the 24 of the just rapid tests. And they aren't really done that much in my area. Most of the places around here send them out to the labs. But I think I have found a place and I'm ready to move forward with my testing and then sit in the American death tubes filled, filled with disease for, you know, a few hours and then finally make my way to New Zealand. Yeah. And tell the folks why you're going oh, to lovely yeah. New Zealand. Going to go design some flesh and blood cards if, if uh, you know, y'all are interested in that. Which, which for little, the record, you've already been doing. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing a little bit of it, doing some contracting with the fine folks at LSS, trying to make awesome flesh and blood cards and sets and uh, going to head down to New Zealand to work in person for a little bit, meet some of the people uh, I've been working with and it, it should be a lot of fun. Are you stoked? I am stoked. It, there's a lot of stress, like traveling is is always inherently stressful and I, I've never been on a flight as long as the one to New Zealand. You've been to New Zealand before though, so you you know a bit about this flight. It, it's intense. I will be traveling for about 30 hours and I've never done anything like that before, so that's yep. that's got me feeling a little stressed. But other than that, I am I'm very excited to go. So when when I flew, I, I think it was like 2009. It might have been 2008. It was the, the very first Grand Prix in Auckland, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. 
incredible experience. Super awesome. Went there a few days early and got an offer to stay at a local's house, which was really nice. Andrew Plinston just kind of like messaged, I think, Luis out of the blue and was like, hey, you know, if y'all y'all want to crash here, cool. Uh, so took him up on that. He showed us around. We did the whole like tourism bit, which I honestly didn't do very much in my travels. And, you know, people tell you like, oh, you're going to regret it when you're older. And it's like, yeah, I do. So <laughs> they were right. Good job. Nailed it. Yep. But yeah. I mean, took us like all over New Zealand was a wonderful host. And then a couple days later, played in a Grand Prix that had 200 people, which doesn't seem like a lot, but at the time was like the biggest TCG tournament in New Zealand at that point. And like the local players were all stoked. All the locals were super nice, super friendly, awesome. And after that, I was like, I definitely want to go back here at some point because the place was just very cool. And you haven't been back yet. I have not. There was, there was a pro tour in Australia where I, I, however many points it was, I think it was like 33 you needed to be gold. And I needed, I think I was at like 30. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, you show up, you get your three pro points, your gold. There was something to like wizards kind of messed up a side of the, the visa process where they kind of like gave you some bad information or something. They told you, you get like, you know, form a, when you need like form a plus B or something. Mm -hmm. And so then they're like, well, okay. I mean, if, you want to skip this pro tour, we'll give you your three pro points. And I was like, well, I got the right forms, but it is a really long flight. And I was, you know, getting kind of old at that point. And it was Australia, not New Zealand. So I was like, yeah, I'll just stay home. Yeah. Take the free pro, pro points. Why not? Yeah. And I don't know, like watch the PT from home. Uh, Andrew Brown made top eight. That was his second top eight, which was really cool. And he was playing like a lot of cards that Michael Majors really loved. Elder mm-hmm. Deep Fiend, et cetera. Yep. So I, I think that would have been cool to to see live and, and be there and experience the event. And it seems like players had a lot of fun doing kind of like touristy stuff like I did in New Zealand. So like that was good to see too. And yeah, kind of kind of sad I missed it. But like those, those 30 hour flights, especially now, like in 2009, yeah, 2009, I was not smoking yet. But now I'm addicted to nicotine. So it makes those 30-hour yeah, flights like a lot longer. Oof, like, that's got to be real tough. I, I, can a, use, I can use patches. And it's yeah, normally or a, normally a lozenge or something. Yeah. So it's just like another added complication to where it's just like, this is going to make me pretty uncomfortable. And yeah, now especially like, you know, times of COVID. I don't think I would be making that flight too often. Well, I, I will do it fairly often and I'll let you know how that experience goes. It's, it's, yeah, uh, I mean, maybe it's not that bad. Are you able to sleep on flights? You know, my whole life, the answer to that was no. Then I started traveling a bunch with like SCG stuff, doing commentary. And then at some point, I was just like, fuck it, I'll go to sleep now. I don't, I don't care. What's the worst that could happen? And then I started sleeping very well on flights and I, I started teleporting around the country and it was all going yeah. great which is something I, I was so jealous of people who could do that because it never, ever worked for me. And then I tapped into it. And now, you know, I have I flown since COVID? I, I, I don't think so. I think this might be my first flight. Man, I feel like I'm forgetting. That can't possibly be when true. When you moved, did you drive? No, I drove. And then I, I went to Colorado, but I also drove out there. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> I, man, I really feel like I'm forgetting something. Like I, I flew once in all of this. 
maybe not. Maybe this really is my first flight since COVID. So uh, no, we'll see. You you went to SCGCon. You drove there. You went to yeah. Pittsburgh. You drove there. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this really is my first flight. So we'll see if I still have this superpower. I would be very sad if I lost it. I've I've not flown, which is pretty strange for me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Your life was about flying for many, many years. Yeah. I mean, I guess so is mine. It, it's it's a weird adjustment. And, and now it's been so long that I've kind of forgotten about it. But I remember in the immediate days of COVID, it was it was striking how tied I felt to one location and how used to just being in various places I was. And then when that went away, it was strange. Yeah, I mean, just being grounded is sort of strange. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think before this, I couldn't really imagine living any other way. Like there was definitely some part of me where it's like, oh, this is so much and I would love to just like stay at home, right? But, but then you stay at home and you're like, you're getting antsy and oh, yeah. you want to do something else. So no, nah, yeah. people ask me like, you know, how is, how is your weekend? How's your life going? Like catching up with people or whatever. And it's like, I don't, I don't really do anything. Like my life is not exciting. I, I still like don't even really see people, but like before I would have plenty of stories from like travel or hanging out with folks or catching people up on what is going on in like our mutual friends lives or something like that. I just have none of that now. I'm like so disconnected. It's, it is yeah. bizarre. Yeah. No, very real effect of everything we've gone through for sure. Yeah. We've got a command fest this weekend in Richmond. Yeah. You're going to take a trip over to that. I mean, it's your neck of the woods, right? Well, I live, I don't know, eight minutes from the convention center. I'm like, okay. it, it's kind of like North side of Richmond. I'm on the South side of Richmond. There's like a river that separates us. The only thing that keeps me from getting there in two minutes is traffic. Yeah. So Nick Prince is coming to stay with me, which is great because I haven't seen Nick in a very long time. And yeah, then very cool. have a lot of friends who are going to be there. And I don't know how long I'll stick around, but I will pop in at some point. Nice. Just to like yeah, say hi, fun. hang out, and then probably see if there's any like hotel lobby hangouts or something because or that sounds some, more fun. Get in some quick commander games, maybe. Probably not. At this point, I will say it is probably more likely that I play Flesh and Blood than Commander. Okay, good. I like that. So, I don't know. I guess for like folks wondering, like you are obviously very into this and have been very into this. I know mm. I saw a, an interaction you had with someone on Twitter that was like, Oh, now, now I see like why you've been hyping this up so much is because you're like going to work on the game. And it's like, no, you actually like the game. Yeah. I, I am going to work on the game because I like the game. It has, it has nothing to do. My hype doesn't come from my participation. I sought out participation because I am so into it. So it's, it's a very different scenario than just like, Oh, you know, it, it's your job or whatever to hype this thing. Nah, that's, it, that's not my job. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't matter if that was your job. Your job was not to promote it on social media. You're going to promote things on social media that you like. Correct. Correct. So. That's, and I, I hope I have enough credibility. I, like, I don't I don't think this person honestly like meant anything you know derisive about it. I, I think it was just like an observation that they were making. And when I explained it to them, they were like pretty appreciative of the explanation. So yeah, it's I, like, you know, oh, well, yeah, I guess when you think about that way in, yeah. in the way that makes sense, then yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. So, so no heat to them. Yeah. I, I think it's just, it's something that has become a very big part of my life very quickly, mostly because of how excellent it is and how much I love the game and everything that's going on around it. So uh, very excited to get to contribute to it. Yeah. So with you super into it, what is the likelihood I get into it? And I will say that I've taken more steps 
towards getting into it than I would have otherwise, which is I have learned the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Slow and steady will get you, Gerald. I, but I mean, I've also watched you do commentary at some of the events too. So. Okay. Yeah, but that was pre your rules understanding, right? It so now was. If you went it back, was, which made it really weird. It. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of used to that. I've been to like some some League of Legends events live, and I've yeah. played that game. Yeah. So I had some some folks explain to me kind of like how you can maybe keep track of like who's ahead, sort of. You know, it's like maybe not as bad as magic like you know the highest life total wins is winning or whatever yeah but i i have some amount of that where it's like i'm watching this thing i kind of know what's going on and then hopefully the commentators will let me know what's happening who's winning and why yeah it's you know it's something that i tried to do in my commentary just because i do think there's a lot of people in the same position as you like curious it's a new game too or i mean new game, relatively yeah. new for a lot of people yeah yeah, so I I do consciously try to do that. I don't know how successful I am at it. You know how it is when you've like internalized something so much and you're like, oh, I'll give the simplest possible explanation of this. And then you've talked for two hours because you have such a deep understanding of it that it's you, you can't give a simple explanation of it, right? Like you sort of just skip over those things naturally because you're so ingrained in you. I try really hard to push back against that. It's hard for me to evaluate how successful I am at that because- That's, that's kind of how I wrote my articles before. I was like, well, anyone reading- this thing is like obviously going to have an understanding of these concepts or whatever. Cause it's like, why else would they be reading a magic article every week and also be paying for it if they didn't already know this stuff. And then it was like, once I actually started going to more, you know, like SCG tour events back in like the early 2010s or whatever, and like meeting the people and saying that they read my articles and stuff, I was like, Oh, that, that's like not my audience. Yeah. Uh, and then I became like very aware of like, no, I should actually just explain stuff more even maybe not if like making an assumption of my reader's knowledge, but just for sake of clarity, even. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough line to walk when you're dealing with very technical, very intense, rules intense type things like we do on a regular basis. Because to even be able to get the baseline understanding, you've already been asked to learn so much, right? So you yeah. have to find exactly the point where okay, everyone has this tremendous amount of knowledge, but not this next step in the tremendous amount of knowledge. And that's a really hard judgment call to hit. I, I agree with you in my writing. It was something I strived really hard for, especially like when I knew I was writing not on the premium side. So I, I tried very hard yeah, to shape my articles differently between whether they were paid content or unpaid content. And I think I was good at that, actually. I think that's something I really succeeded at during my time as a writer. I was just talking with someone the other day where I was like, I, I miss my my writing job, you know, mm -hmm. where people would just pay me money to sit down and like put my thoughts on paper. On, and now I still have like a bunch of half written articles and whatnot. And I think that when we started promoting the website a lot more, like I was pretty good at getting something out every week. But the returns were just not there. And it's like, I should probably just be doing this in another medium, whether it be like Twitch or YouTube or like. Yeah, uh, something right. No, it's it's frustrating. Writing writing was like super chill, and I really enjoyed it. And the everything was set up for like people to know where to go to read the articles, right? So right. It, it all just kind of worked out. Yep. No, it was it was a lot of infrastructure that was not present. It is not present these days, and you said it best. the The returns are not there. Like you can't spend the amount of time it takes to create a good article and 
make a dollar to, to do it. Like, it's just, it's not realistic under the ever watchful gaze of capitalism. If, yes. If we had some, you know, universal basic income or something, then maybe we could use our time more freely to support these, uh, these things that we love as passion projects. But as it stands now, always cost benefit analysis, something else you could be doing with that time. Even like you said, I think, which is a really salient point, like Twitch, YouTube, there's just a greater potential for return if you do the exact same thing in the spoken medium. So why would you do it in the written medium? Because I like writing. Right. That's it. <laughs> that that would be the reason. And once once like dollars have to drive the cost benefit analysis, you don't get the luxury of making that decision anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so easy for me to play games or consume content in my leisure time and then basically like spend time by myself learning stuff and then put it into something versus like, oh, I'm going to like be on camera live streaming this and like during the learning process. And like my problem was with Twitch was like maybe at the end of the stream, you kind of like sum things up or whatever, but it's like even then you give it 12 to 24 hours or something and I could still write a thesis on it better than I could have summed up in, you know, the two minutes after the stream or whatever. Right. right. So yeah. I would much rather perform. I would prefer that medium. And I would also prefer to like do the learning on my own time versus having to be on. But yeah, there's just, they're different stuff. So what you're saying is that there's someone out there with a website that wants to pay you to write some articles. You, you'd have a conversation. I would have a conversation, but I mean, I, I think that <laughs> that, that ship is like mostly sailed, right? It's like whoever, runs the websites knows that all the SCG people got laid off and basically no one got picked up. So yeah. I'm just assuming at this point that that is not going to happen. So the thing that I was thinking about was like turning whatever articles into like video form and just doing YouTube and having it get like a thousand hits and me not make any money doing it. But like. Perfect. Sounds, and, sounds great. Sign and, yourself up. Yeah. I mean, at least more people would see it than writing an article. And then Prob probably true at this point. And the process would be very much the same, right? Where it's like I do the learning on my own time and then translate that into some piece of content. Yeah. Do, do you watch any like long form essay YouTube stuff? I, I don't watch a ton. The ones that I have seen are very good. And I wish that I had a playlist versus like having to go seek them out and find them. And then I want to do stuff like that. It's just like it, it takes a long time and I don't Forever. have the capability to make it as engaging, I think, because it's like, I don't know. I mean, I guess writing a script is not that different than writing an article, but then I have to perform the script and get the visual aids and all yeah. the stuff. Right. Yeah. The, the editing is like what always has, I think that that medium is really interesting. And I remember I sent you like action button reviews, the, the video game reviews that were like six hours long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're, they're phenomenal. I really enjoy them. And, and every time I watch them, I'm like, ah, oh, I should do something like this in the magic space. But then I think about the tremendous, tremendous amount of work. And basically, like, you have to get a million views or you can't justify the amount of time you spend on it. Right. And that's just that's just not realistic. Like, that's not going to happen 99.9% .9 of the time someone does something like this. Do you know Spice 8 Rack? Yeah, absolutely. If, if you watch his stuff? No, no, I've I've seen them, uh, you know, in Twitter spaces and whatnot. But for whatever reason, they've never crossed my my YouTube algorithm, which is weird, right? I, I had yeah. the same experience. I had the same experience. Yeah, yeah, it is weird because I, I think about like the other YouTubers who are often there, and I don't see any reason why Spice Eight Rack wouldn't make it. But but no, they haven't thus far. 
yeah, so it, he, he does like long form stuff like, you know, I, I don't want to say this definitively, but I feel like he makes like a video a month or something. It could be a little bit more frequently than that, but okay. I think it's about a video a month. And it's it's like generally long form scripted, well, well presented by him and well produced and everything. And like making a video a month, I could probably do that, you know, but I, I feel like. That's that's got to be like such a hard thing to set up, right? Because why why would anyone think that you were going to do this with any amount of consistency or whatever? But yeah, so yeah, my my initial thought was like, oh, I would need to do something like a week or like you know, YouTube encourages you to do daily uploads or whatever. And yeah, I think like one a month, like hard hitting thing could be very doable because it's like I would do like a long form article every week. And I feel like a lot of time went into that. So I feel like I would have more time. For sure. I, I think like the skill set is a little like you, you would have to develop. It's, yeah, this very it's, unique it's skill very set. different. It's very yeah. I'm not saying like I would do a great job or anything, but no, but that's I'm, I mean, I'm sure that if you spoke to any of these people and they talked about their first videos, they would not have thought they did a great job at that point either. And it's just something you kind of learn over time and develop in. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't think I don't think I did a great job in my first podcast ever. I don't think we did a great job the first time we podcasted together. We probably shut, still don't you do, shut your do mouth. A great I job. did great. I didn't then. I'll take no, the blame. I, I agree with you. I definitely agree. And I, I think honestly, like I'm coming from a position of being like way more prepared for this stuff than someone else who is like starting their their first video on their YouTube channel or whatever. Right? It's like I I did this stuff with Star City back in the day. Like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I mean, I you've, had you've done it on your own. We, yeah, we we did like some, you know, deck tech videos and things like that. They were certainly lower budget, maybe not as beautifully produced as they should have been if you were trying to make like a long term endeavor of it. But you know the foundations, you know the the formulas. Yeah. Anyway, we were talking about flesh and blood. So right, right. I don't know if I'm going to like get into it. Get into it. But I like the premise. I like all the stuff that LSS is doing. I like how they seem to care very much about their players, but not just their players, like the community as a whole. You know, Mm -hmm. they did some really nice stuff for cosplayers, for example, where it's like they basically like created their own promo card for them that has also like some dope Easter eggs in it and stuff. So it's stuff like that where it's like they go the extra mile. they, They do care. And then it comes down to like, do I actually like this game? And it is different enough from all the stuff that I've played before and enjoyed before where I'm, I'm a little skeptical that, that I will enjoy it, but I, I respect the premise. I think the premise is good. Yeah. I, I only thing I would say is just try it and find out. I mean, you know, I would love to, know. if there were a digital client, there's, this is excuse making. There's tabletop simulator, which I will hop on with you at any time and teach you the game. That's I actually not digital. Like it absolutely is digital. It's online, but it's not, Oh, I can play flesh and blood arena and learn by myself. Okay. Or you could go play felt table. If you wanted to just learn by yourself, play by yourself. I, I don't know what that is. Is that just like gold fishing playing against AI or something? You play against an AI. Yeah. And it's, it's a functional, it's not a good AI, but it's, it's how I learned the game for sure. Like it was absolutely critical in understanding the rules and, you know, what different decks did and what goals were. And I, I still use it from time to time in some scenarios where like, I just want to see how something runs. I, it's a really good tool. So is there a, a hub 
such as Magic Online or Arena? No, there is not. Is there a way to play the game in the digital space? 100% there is. But that that's assuming you already have some amount of buy-in, right? Where it's like you kind of know how the rules operate or... Well, no, Feltable is a rules engine. It, it does it itself. It's how I learned the rules. But it doesn't teach you the rules as you are playing. Like, a thing will happen, but you won't know why it happened. It won't tell you. You can maybe intuit it. You know what I mean? Kind of. I, I don't think you're right, though. I, I think there's, like, if you slow down and review the game log, of which there is one, so you can, like, see what happened for each decision, why things happened... I, I think it can teach you everything you need to know because that's how I learned. I mean, I, it's just like, I didn't, I watched profs video and then I went to felt table. And okay. after doing that, I showed up at the event we went to the, the first SCG con and I top four to PTQ. And that was the first time I had ever played with anyone, but my brother in person. Yeah. You were probably cheating the whole time. Well, you know, that's that's my mo. Always, well, che- cheating requires always looking looking for an edge. So I played it in one versus system PTQ. Okay. And I I knew of the game. Obviously, I'm very familiar with like Marvel DC IPs and whatnot. Yeah. And I uh, got handed a deck by my friend and like kind of taught the day before or whatever. Played round one, got absolutely demolished. Uh, I was playing I was playing Big Brotherhood. They were playing Sentinels. It seemed like a really bad matchup. And also I was like playing Jund and they were playing like Jund deck that also had like Ancestral Recall or whatever. Okay. Good choice on their part. It just seemed like I had a very distinct deck disadvantage, right? So in round two, I cast a spell that I couldn't cast. Okay. But it's like, it's so weird because it's like, yeah, this has like a number on it or whatever, but it's like generally you don't pay attention to the number because you just need like that amount of lands or whatever. You're not actually like, oh, I need the mana to cast the spell. And basically I played a four drop on turn three, which was like really good. It was like, it was a good play for me, right? So I I win the game, but then it got pointed out to me after the fact that like I couldn't cast the spell. My opponent was like, wait, how'd you do that on turn three? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And I was just like, I, you're right. I concede you win and I drop. Very nice of you. And I, I think I knew enough by the time I was playing my first event that I was within the realm of the rules. I, I do think like there was a, a misplay I had to rewind that I, I did something wrong in one scenario, but I don't think there was anything too egregious. It's like not, that. it's not felt tables fault. Yeah. I think yeah, I my understanding of things was definitely the result of like my, my friends not being very good at teaching games. Sure. And probably like hot shotting the process a little bit. Like I, th- I think you need a little bit more setup for a game than let me hand you this deck and here's a brief rundown of what you should be doing. Right. Yeah. You, you teach me how to play the game through like two games in between rounds at FNM the night before the BTQ. Probably not great. Yeah, that's tough. Anyway, may, may flesh and blood at some point. Other thing is SCG, I guess like made a statement and Pete gave an interview and yeah, you got, you got some things you want to say about that, Gerald. I have some things. I've I've got can I say that I got legal advice if you're not technically a lawyer? No, you can't say that. I got some advice. Yeah. Not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. That is 100% true. You can you can check the, the I rules. I led I'm with retired. you're not a lawyer. Yep. Retired. It officially says so on my attorney registration status. Nice. 
uh, where I was going to tell a story. Yeah. And I was advised by hashtag not a lawyer that it could potentially get me in, in some hot water. So I think I'm not going to tell that story exactly. But I will okay. say that for the people listening to the the Pete interview and being like, oh, this this guy seems like a little out of touch. It's just like, oh, you know, not not billionaire, of course, but it's just like, I don't know, maybe maybe millionaire being out of touch with reality. No way. And it's like, yeah, you should not be surprised by that. There are uh, two different worlds that humans inhabit. And one is just a regular go to work, get a paycheck type of world. And the other is ownership of something substantial and, you know, paying salaries to a bunch of people. The two worlds are not at all similar. They, they don't lead to the same conclusions. They don't have the same incentive systems. They don't reward the same morals. They're, they're just not the same worlds. And if you are of one world and you expect those people to operate in your space, probably going to be disappointed. There's exceptions, of course. There's exceptions to every rule. Um, but I, I think a large percentage of the people operating in that ownership world are going to have a hard time connecting with folks on the basic world. And it just has, it's a pattern that repeats itself to me over and over. And it's kind of become a, a firm belief of mine at this point. So nothing here shocked me is what I will say. Yeah. The, the other thing is that people are generally not self-aware until they are. That rarely comes about easily. And there's also a lot of friction there where you can have this sort of moment where you could pause and reflect and maybe become self-aware. But I think that there are just generally a lot of internal things that are going to tell you not to do that. Sounds a lot safer to not be self-aware. A lot easier. You just get to kind of go about your life and you know, anything wrong is always somebody else's fault. And that sounds, that sounds great. I could totally get on board for that type of experience, but you you can't turn back the clock. And once you go one way, it's hard to get back to that state. So probably won't be doing that anytime soon. It was a disappointing interview. And somebody made a point too, that like, and why is there so much criticism being levied at SCG for this stuff? We talked about it forever ago. We expected more from SCG. It's that simple. I mean, it, it's really not more complicated than that. I expected them to be a leader. Uh, their their past decisions have shown them to be a leader in many instances. And it seemed like they, they often put people first. This is a time they didn't do that. It shocked and surprised us. Of course, we're allowed about it. Especially because, you know, our, our brand is inextricably tied to SCG. That's where many people got to know us. You know, this podcast was on SCG for a long time. We both wrote for SCG for a long time. We both broadcasted for SCG. I I broadcasted recently for SCG after I was fired as a writer. I did a flesh and blood tournament and and maybe I'll do it again. Honestly, I, I haven't ruled out the possibility of ever working with them again, but there is just a higher expectation we put on them because... We know what they're capable of. And I, I think even once we're separated, we're still kind of like reflected on by them. So, of course, we get more angry about this stuff. I wouldn't say that I expected it, but I was hopeful and I knew that it was within their range to do so. But I wouldn't say that like, oh, this is, you know, totally out of character for them necessarily. 
Okay. Yeah, but I, I could see that interpretation. I think that's generally my personality, though, is like, don't expect too much. Be like sternly disappointed, you know, like disappointed dad or whatever. Right. That's that's basically how I feel. I think that sums it up pretty well. And I mean, you you even made the comment when we were in Pittsburgh where you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they're just going to get rid of these restrictions pretty soon. And I thought about it for like half a second. I was like, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. No, that's true. The writing was on the wall at that point. And I I will say that the the reason that I will be vocal is because we were able to change how they were doing things before by being vocal. Sure. They listened, which is to their credit. That's not, that's not weakness. That's not wishy-washiness. That's learning. Yeah. A lot of the stuff with wizards now I'm like, well, I'll say it, but like, I, I don't expect them to do anything. And in this instance, I'll say it. I don't expect them to do anything, but like, I know that it's non-zero that they can. Right. And that this has worked before. And then, I mean, the other question is like, why do you care? And well, I care about protecting my community and, you know, people are saying like, Oh, well you just don't have to go or whatever. And it's like, well, true, but then you are just excluding people for basically no reason, like a very low opportunity cost. And then there are people who don't have a choice like employees, right? Yeah. The employees are who I actually feel the worst for in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Same. And then it's just like, you know, why, why do you care so much about this specifically? Why are you speaking out against SEG, but not against the other places? Well, like you mentioned, we have very close ties to them. And also this is magic community stuff. And if there were more things that were like this in the magic space, I would certainly be speaking out about those too. And there just haven't been. I mean, I know that the DreamHack stuff is bullshit. To be honest with you, I actually think DreamHack is the worst actor in all of this because they sold tickets to the show yes, with restrictions it. in place and then changed it. And nobody else has done that. Everyone has been like, these are the rules. And you may not like I the mean, rules, but these are the rules. I mean, sort of. It's, it's weird with SCG where it's like Command Fest is happening this weekend. And yeah. those restrictions are in place. Like it is still. They are in place. Vaccinative right? test, mask required. And I, I think maybe some of that has to do with it being a command fest and not just SCG's own rodeo where maybe so you think like a wizard's influence. Yeah. Yeah. But in that case, wouldn't you expect dream hack to be the same thing? I guess dream hack is, is bigger than a magic event though. So it's kind of like, yeah, they, I mean, they could say in the magic area, you have to have vaccinations and yeah, I mean that, that, that doesn't do anything. I think, yeah, yeah, wizards is having their thing at this already big organization. Yep this big event where magic is definitely just a very small part of it. Right. And so I don't think wizards has any leverage in telling them how to do things. No, probably not. I think that's fair. No, but I, but the idea that at the 11th hour, you change the rules and people have made travel plans and bought tickets. And the whole argument you use is like, Oh, if you're not comfortable with it, don't go. It's like, well, I'm not comfortable with it, but you took all my money ahead of time. And now what do I do? Right. And this is this is the first time I think that's really been the case. So and, you know, to SCG's credit, whether or not this is like a wizard's mandate or not, is like they have changed the rules for like upcoming events. But the thing that was in place, which was Command Fest Richmond, has not changed. Like they're yep. not they are not trying to hoodwink anyone. Correct. They are going to like explicitly lay out the rules and then probably keep them that way. Although for the upcoming events, they were definitely being like a little shady about it, where it's just like they didn't post 
whether or not anything was required at all on the website. And then people asked about it and they're like, yes, the website currently does not have that information or whatever. Right. It's just like, how about you just tell me yes or no? You know? So it's like they were being intentionally obtuse, I think. I agree. I, I don't think any part of their response has been well-formulated. Really, any any part of it has been well-formulated. I think it's all been done. It's been slapped together, I would say. And adapting to one crisis after another just leaves you creating new crises all over the place. So you need to have a, a much more thorough plan for how you're going to deal with these type of things, I would say, in the future. So tangentially related to this, in his interview, Pete talked about how Twitter has a bunch of like you know, performative assholes, I guess I would, I don't think that's a direct quote or anything, but it's like a bunch of like performative complainers on Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Do you feel people are actually performative just like in a general, like maybe not in a general sense. Cause the answer to that is obviously yes. But as, as far as like talking about issues, you know what I mean? I think all aspects of our personality are performative in some way like that is that is just what being a human is you it's the core of communication right like you are trying to express something so therefore you are being performative with that expression because you want to get that across do i think it just because you talk about a specific issue that's a valid means of like it's it's a time to criticize someone as performative. No, I think it's a total cop out because I I think one hundred percent of the time you're able to call someone performative. So using it in this scenario is actually implying something else. It's implying that's uh, <laughs> that's why I wanted to not speak to like a broader sense because like I said the answer to that is yes. But it's like in in instances like this when when you know people spend their time and energy to complain or bring awareness or whatever in those instances specifically do you think people are performative and it it can it can be a scale right yeah i like like with everything there's going to be exceptions i i'm just going to give my own experience to this thing the mental cost of putting yourself out there on issues like this and making yourself a focal point or a lightning rod for everyone on the opposite side of the spectrum to come after you and, you know, certainly extend their abuse of you far outside the scope of the discussion you're having. Yes. Nobody wants that. Nobody in their right mind wants that. So to say this is part of a performance that has no other basis other than to attract attention that's nonsense. Nobody would ask to be the subject of this kind of scrutiny I mean, maybe once you do it by mistake, but if you've ever been through it, you sure as hell don't want to do it a second time. And the idea there's someone out there who just like gets off on constantly being yelled at by the worst people on the planet. Like I said, exceptions to everything. I don't really buy that's the main thing motivating behavior here. Yeah. I I mean, you did bring up attention, which I think is kind of important because yes, you get the negative attention, but if that comes with good attention, I could see it potentially being worth it. But I also think that it's all bullshit. I think that if people are speaking up about something, it's generally because they, they do care about it. You know, there's, there's just like so many things that people experience and go through and think about on a daily basis that they don't all share to social media. And like, obviously there, there are people that are looser 
with social media than others, right? And are most willing to like shoot from the hip as far as like making posts and are concerned. But I think that generally if someone is like hitting send, it is something that they believe or like they, they have a reason for doing it, whether it's, you know, shit posting or not. And I think the, the difference is like putting the, the money where their mouth is when, when it comes, you know, cause it's like people can say like, Oh, I'm just, you know, never shopping at SCG again. And then it's like, Oh, well, a new set comes out and I guess SCG is the cheapest. So I'm going to buy from them or whatever, but it's like, right. well, even then, the don't worry about that. Even then, I don't think it's performative. I, I, because to me, that implies that they actually don't care about the thing. Right. And yeah. I think, I think that you can both care about what SCG is doing and talk about it and then still attend their events. Obviously it's like, pretty silly if you're saying you're going to like boycott their events and then you still go to them. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, I I just feel like just because they are not taking able to take like a hundred percent hardline stance doesn't mean that they don't care because the, the, there are circumstances involved in everything. It's like, okay, well I really, I really want this card, but my budget is X. And I mean, this is a laughable example, but it's like, Oh, SCG is the cheapest or whatever. Um, because that's never going to be true. But you know, in, in situations like that where it's like, I don't know, if if I was hungry and there were literally no restaurants except Chick-fil-A around or whatever, it's like, okay, fine, I'll eat a Chick-fil-A. But like for the most part, I'm just going to avoid them because they suck. Yeah, like, I, yeah I, I think making space for shades of participation is important. Like I, I think it's totally acceptable that you go, well, I used to feel this way about SCG. I may still go to their events, but, uh, you know, I won't be doing X, Y, and Z. You know, I won't be buying SCG merch or I won't be subscribing to their premium service. I, I think like all of those things are valid as a way to voice your displeasure. And it doesn't have to be never engage with SCG again. Like, like I said, I could see a world where I still work for SCG again. I, I don't think that's impossible. Yeah. And the reason is because, I mean, if there were 10 other different platforms that you could do flesh and blood stuff on or with, you would probably choose them instead. Right. But in this instance, like, I don't know, maybe they're the only run ones running like callings or whatever. Yeah. Right. But I, I think that is within the realm of possibility and it would be a scenario where, uh, you know, I, one of the things I, it's weird to like go to bat for SCG right now. I guess I'm going to, to a small extent. One of the things I'll say about in my time working for them is that I, I always felt like I could say something that was borderline overtly SCG or overtly anti SCG, like don't buy these cards or don't participate in these events until something happens, which is like clearly negative to their bottom line. And I felt like it would still be published and I could still say that. And there was never any restrictions on how I was to present myself. And that extended, you know, across not only my articles, but like social media, they never really said, you know, lay off wizards or, and again, like to wizards credit, I recently did work for them after months and months and months of criticizing them. Ultimately, like those are the companies that I am willing to keep working with. The ones who say there's space for disagreement and criticism, even from people under our banner, that's that's a good sign. 
And it, it's only in the absolute situation where like, oh, if you say bad things about this, you'll never work here again. Well, then there's probably a, a really unfixable problem underneath everything. Yeah. And I, I they, think the distinction is that in the case of Wizards and SCG, for the most part, you are dealing with various employees at various levels throughout the companies. And then it is the people who are in charge of how do we make the most money this quarter, ultimately making those big decisions that we disagree with. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not necessarily like Jared's call or whatever, or whoever the messenger is to announce these announcements, the person on social media or, or anything. It's, it is not their call. They are not the ones making this decision. It is not their fault. Do not go after them. Right. And if you're talking to like Andrew Brown about doing contract work for wizards or whatever, it's like, I mean, he knows that he didn't make the decisions that you disagree with. He may even disagree with some of the decisions that they made. Right. Sure. And also like at the time, you know, like Chris Cox did not have a say in whether or not you got hired. He doesn't even know who you are. Mm. Right. Very true. So, Yeah, you can deal with the employees of a company, a company that is doing like some pretty bad stuff and have those interactions all be completely warm and fuzzy and fine. Yeah, it's weird. It's all weird. And I mean, like, that's just our system in a nutshell. It always there's perverse incentives all over the place and it puts you in weird, like ethical dilemmas every time you leave your house and spend your money. And it's frustrating. And again, I, I think that speaks to exactly why we've been louder about this issue than other ones is like a lot of capital invested in this organization, a lot of our own sweat and, and work. I I think helping form the reputation that they had for a very long time as like the place for magic. I think you especially deserve a large part of the credit for that. Having been a face of the organization for a very long time and your outrage seems perfectly directed, like exactly where it should be. Good. Yeah. Ba- <laughs> now you feel now you feel better about it? Uh I mean no, but basically to sum things up, I I think that referring to people as performative is just like really silly. It's and, a big red flag for me, I'll say that. Yeah. And I I get where you would see someone like maybe complain like, you know, say you are on the side of, you know, the performative person's opinion in in quotes. And you see them say the same stuff, but then maybe not take as much action as you do. And it's like, well, you know, everyone has different circumstances, right? It's like, you may be able to cut people off and take hardline stances. And maybe other people are not able to do that for various reasons. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that that means that they're any less outraged than you or that they're doing it for clicks or whatever, because I think that it's very unlikely that people do that. Yeah, I'm just going back to click suck. And if I could be clicked on less, that would be nice. So I, I'm not doing anything for clicks. Maybe broad, uh, broad social capital is not the right word. Uh, broad reach. Reach is a tool that is like valuable to me, has been valuable in my life. So if you want to argue like I, I post more so that my reach is extended, I, I'll, I'll concede that. I think that's fair. But saying it's performative so I can uh, appear a certain way when I'm not really that way. I don't think that's ever the case for, at least for me. And I think it's rarely the case for others. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, 
it's getting paid in exposure, right? It's it's just like so ridiculous and has been debunked. It's trickle down economics effectively. Yep. yep. Where I think anyone who thinks about it for two seconds is going to realize that it doesn't do you any good. And I think that, yeah, maybe you could endear yourselves to people who are quote unquote good people in the community or whatever, if you do more stuff like this, but it's like, if you don't feel that way, why would you even want to get in with that people? With That's people? a very good question. Right. It, it just it doesn't make any sense. So I wish that people would do more. I will say that. But again, I realized that, you know, maybe, maybe you were not able to. And I understand that completely because people lack energy, time, money, bandwidth, whatever it is to actually make harder of a stance than I would. But that's because I'm also coming from like a very privileged position in a lot of ways where I can afford to say stuff like this and like people won't come after me because they know that I will fuck them up (laughs) or like (laughs) if they come after me, I have 40,000 people who will then come after them even without me saying anything, you know? Yeah, I, I think that's problematic too, but <laughs> it is, it's really bad. I'm not saying it's good, but it's just like, I, I think people know at this point that it's like, you, you probably shouldn't mess with me, you know, at least like Man. if I do something bad, like obviously do that. Right. Because then the people that follow me will probably be on your side. Right. But it's all, like, all this conversation is, is doing for me is yeah. just making me contemplate how fucked up our societal structures it is. are it and is, how right? impossible it is to like ever build a working society while social media is a huge driver of our existence. It is. It is dangerous as fuck. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for like follower counts and stuff like that. And where that should, that is a perverse incentive. Yeah. Right. And then once you get to the point where it's like, I have 40,000 followers and now like there are ways that I could abuse that. Yeah. And, and, and people do often. Yes. Like that's it. And that huge, is messed up problem. Also. Yeah. So not great. A lot of it, all of it great. makes me just want to, you know, go to the woods, get some goats some chickens. Oh, what you've been doing. Yeah. You want to hear about my pond? I mean, I've heard a decent amount about your pond, but I'll take some pond updates. Okay. So pond, we got here last year, just completely overgrown and like uh, a lot of algae, all that stuff. Not generally pleasing to look at. Reeds, like cattail type reeds, basically surrounding the entire pond. A small shore, but completely encircled in reeds. So so algae I get not not super appealing. Yeah. To like look at. I don't know if that's harmful to wildlife or anything. It can be. Okay. And then the cattails are also what? Just an eyesore? I, I don't mind cattails. I think like they're they're kind of cool. It's just when they encircle the entire pond, it's like you you can't really see in the pond anymore, right? Right. There's- so you just want to chop them down so you can like see overhead versus so I, versus yeah, like so just I, cutting a path or something. Yeah. So I could just like sit on the pond banks. So so here's what I did. I bought fly fishing gear, which is like those big overalls with the really high boots. Oh yeah. I'm and familiar. I just Okay, I just hopped right in the I, pond. And I was born I started, in Minnesota, dude. Yeah, you're ready for this. So I, I hopped in the pond. I started pulling out cattails and cutting cattails and worked my way around about 75% of the entire pond. And I wanted to leave cattails because I think they're important. I noticed like a lot of birds roost on them. It seemed to be like just, just animals were using them. I wanted to make sure they were still able to use them. So back section of my pond, leave the cattails, 
and cleaned up everything else. And I put an aerator in the pond, which is like this pump that just constantly stirs the water, gets more oxygen moving, uh, helps with the algae and just, you know, generally beneficial to an ecosystem. And so having done all this stuff, I have so, so many turtles now, just they pile up. Like I pulled down a bunch of logs from my woods and put them on the shoreline. And when the sun's out, they'll line up on the logs and <laughs> sunbathe. And I've seen baby turtles all the time. And Baby turtles are cute as hell. Oh, they're awesome. I saw literally the largest frog I've ever seen the other day. Just like mammoth bullfrog. Now the minnows are being born. So all along the shores, there's like lots of baby fish. And I don't know how many of them are going to survive. Uh, if all of them survive, we're going to have some trouble actually. But <laughs> Pond's not uh, big enough. Yeah, pond's not big enough. And like fish are jumping now all the time. And there's this yeah. one koi fish in the pond. His name's Carl. He's like a giant white koi fish, two feet long, I would say. He's just tremendous. And, uh, you know, I didn't see him much this winter. And I didn't really know if like he made it, what happens. And now I see him on the shoreline all the time. He's like eating the base of the reeds, helping me keep the pond clean. So pond ecosystem is killing it right now. And, uh, you know, that's mostly what I want to use my social media for at this point is just make it pond Twitter, like just pond updates, animals. It seems like the best use of uh, any reach I've accumulated over the years. I was thinking that there was going to be some beautiful analogy to like, that is what you're going to do to no. the magic community. Or no, I just really like my pond or something. No. Nope. No analogy. I just like my pond and I wanted to talk about it. Hell Yeah. I guess related to the flesh and blood stuff, we're going to talk about whether or not we're going to be here next week. And part of the problem is that you are traveling on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yes. Yeah. Three day travel extravaganza will be the case. So, so if we can find room on Tuesday, I mean, let's be honest. We, we've now done an hour show. I imagine we probably won't talk about any actual magic on this show since we've gone this far without doing it. Not a lot going on right now. I think that's fair to say. Uh, you know, we just had the pro ah. tour, which was interesting. I got we, stuff we played to talk some about. events. What do you have to talk about? I mean, do you want to get into it? You want to actually talk about magic stuff now? No, not really. I'm I'm kind of busy, and I feel like I've already devoted an hour here, so that might be the end of my participation. I do want to talk about our weekend though, because we we played some magic this weekend together, actually. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we we played in the arena PTQ, which was sealed. Yeah. Um, Great job, us. Way to commit. We yeah. all got our qualifications. Won those. My case, I won a last chance qualifier with uh, some tight play. You won the week before, right? You and Joe both won last week's qualifier. Yeah, I won yeah. on the second try. I think Josh was on his fifth. But also, like, the gem payouts are good enough where yeah. Josh, even after five tries, was still break even. Yep. So yeah, t- two tries for me. I came out ahead, so no complaints there. Yeah, it was it was overall not bad. I think we opened the three of us for the PTQ opened the worst sealed pools I've ever seen. Horrible. Just 50% of our <laughs> rares cut out from under us right off the bat. Just I've entirely done, unplayable. Dude, I've done a lot of sealed in this format. I generally like sealed because I think that there's just like a lot of science to be doing in sealed. And I don't know. I can generally like look at a pool and just be like, you know, these, these are the options that you have, right? It's like, you could be like a very bad blue black deck or like an okay band deck with terrible mana that also has like a hole in your curve or whatever. And you're probably going to lose to some better decks, but like, you know, maybe you can 
you can scrap it out. Or it's like you play this like four color deck with all your powerful cards and like yeah. really terrible mana and, and try and do that. And it was also best of three. So you have a, a little bit of room there to maneuver. And it was just like my, my pool just had like no good rares and no good commons. Nope. Right. Nope. So uh, it, was all, it was all three of us. Like the craziest thing was. So a lot of times in the best of three scenario, you're like, okay, I can get them in sideboarding, right? right? Like I will use that edge to adjust and I would go to sideboarding and I'm like, I don't have a playable card. Like I would, I would kill for a disdainful stroke. It completely changed my sideboard. Yeah. Plan. So you, you, there's you were playing literally band. not a card I could add. You were playing band, right? Yep. So that's kind of where you want to end up. For and sure. I think your deck was okay, but it also kind of like stopped at three mana. Yep. So like you just you didn't have any of the big like, you know, echo inspector adjudicators. You certainly didn't have any like bomb rares or anything. No, nope. no. Nope. Rigo like was my my best card by far. Uh, what was Rigo? Rigo. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. even then it's it sealed. So you didn't have like a ton of stuff to go with Rigo, too. Yep. So like you had a very low to the ground deck, but also had to play like four or five Bant cards or like green cards, like cards on your splash. So it's like your mana was still not great, even with duels. And yep. you're sm- it wasn't like, oh, I drafted this deck that's really low to the ground because all my two and three drops are busted. It was like, no, nah, like, I'm still playing like mediocre two drops. This is all I have. There's no other option. Yeah. So it's like you have low curve, but have to play 17 lands just to get enough like pips to cast your spells. And then on turn five, you're like, play a two drop, just have three dead mana. Yeah. And then, yeah, you go to sideboarding and I like none of us had like a disenchant. Nope. It was like, okay, obviously like Broken Wings would be in the main deck or whatever, but it's like my opponent has a rabble rousing. Do I have an extract the truth or any? No, nothing. No counterspell, nothing. I'm just dead to it. Cool. Yeah. So uh, long story short, all of us made very swift exits from the PTQ. I had a good time though. I, I In general, like I thought qualification was fairish. Like you said, Cho had to try five times and still ended up even or ahead. So that's, that's a good sign system seems acceptable i will say this having played a lot of flesh and blood lately uh and played a bunch of flesh and blood ptqs one shot ptqs still suck i i hate the one qualification opportunity a season is infinitely better and i don't see any way for arena to move back to a season and i find that frustrating i wish it was more weekly events the other thing i'll say is that playing a game with much less variance for a little while. It's, it's sort of making me into one of those, those people. And I I know that that has inherent challenges with game design though. I know that I know that in my heart, in my soul, I know that the best thing magic has is its land system. I know that Gerald, but I still thought it a few times this weekend where it's like, damn, I wish I could just always make my land drops. And the land system for constructed, I think gets balanced out. It is still a thing that has not really been balanced out for limited. Oh, uh, that's interesting. You that's, know what I mean? Because yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Dude, think of how long we've been playing limited where our mana bases are 9-8. That is yeah. such garbage. It's so bad. And then you compound that with like the mulligan system for constructed, which is like it's meant to be kind of punishing, but like probably shouldn't be for limited at least limited up, up, up until like 2015 because like now i think the sets are a little bit more powerful where it's powerful. like yeah it's getting closer because it's like the the london mulligan for this format in draft specifically it's like you know even if your opponent mulligans once like you're gonna get your ass kicked 
Like they're, they're going to have a good draw. They're going to curve out probably, you know? Yeah. And I think the incentives for this set specifically to be multicolored are like, would be very good and very at home 10 years ago where it's like, Oh, you have this coastal tower, but also you can pay five mana and sack it later. So it doesn't feel, it's like you don't get a chance to do that in a lot of the games. Yeah. So some of the things are, are being balanced for limited like 10 years ago. And I think that the mana bases that we have now for limited are generally like, Oh, you get like dual lands of common, you know, you can make like a pretty good two color mana base. Like you're definitely punished for it with like these ETB tap lands and maybe you gain a life or something off your Thornwood falls or something. But yeah, I, I think that if you wanted to make limited good and feel more like constructed, I think that there are ways you could do that. Now, obviously, you know, when I say that out loud, it sounds very strange and very weird. And I'm sure that there are limited diehards that are like, no, we like limited because it's not constructed. Well, you also don't like streets limited. And that's kind of why is because like all the cards just across the board are like pretty powerful, pretty appealing. And I think that that is a conscious effort that they're doing. Right. Yeah. So I think that that is going to continue. And then at that point, the, the complaints that you have are just like, well, maybe the man is pretty bad, in which case you could fix it. You could just make the lands a little bit better. Uh, or you could have more different options for fixing, which I understand why they didn't necessarily include a lot of those because you don't want to incentivize like four-color stuff. Yeah, th- I mean, that's always the fight, right? Like yeah. if you make your fixing too good, you end up with, oh, here are all the good cards. Yeah, it's like, oh, here's this three-color set, and then you're just like, well, I'm, I'm five-color. You know, it's like yeah. what... Especially Ari- in Sealed. I think that happens a lot of time in Sealed. Yeah, where, where it's like gets- what Ari was doing in cons, right? Everyone was like, oh, yep. I'll just draft my my wedge or whatever. And he's like, why? I just have yep. 10 dual lands, you know? It's an interesting challenge to balance around those two things. I think you're right that increased power level and limited is here to stay. I also think you're right that there's got to be some other ancillary adjustments that account for that to allow you to play games where you miss a land drop. I mean, like the, the best stories come from games where you pull out of those holes, right? Like that feeling is special in magic. It's awesome in magic. One of the best parts about magic is sort of playing. I, lot, I think, I think coming back from a low resource situation is awesome. Well, okay. So a lot of the instances, I, I know that this is not necessarily the games that you're talking about, but a lot of the instances are, I'm stuck on two and I'm able to keep playing spells and my opponent floods out, which is why, you know, screw always beats flood. Yeah. Why people say that is because when you are flooding out and yeah, you play like one or two, like more powerful cards than your opponent, but then they start drawing their lands and now they just have six spells in their hand. Like, yeah, yeah, they came back from a low resource situation, but like, I think that they're always kind of set up to do that in the first place. So I think in, in that scenario, it doesn't necessarily like, Oh, feel like great that you managed to win this like really scary game or whatever. It's just like, I just need my opponent to draw an extra land and then I'll win. I think I just disagree. I, I think like that scenario is uh, Th- those scenarios, whether it's real or not, like, yeah, I understand. I, I, I think that's a fair criticism. I think like they will often play out in that fashion but that moment, like there's a moment in that game you're describing where you're on a razor's edge, right? And it's just like, if I don't find the land here, then this is not going to turn. And even when you do find the land, you know, you have to make a a suboptimal block for a turn. So you have right. the opportunity to draw to the next thing. Like yep. a lot of the games that won't play out in that fashion. But when they do and your entire strategic approach is flipped on its head, 
until you can play that more traditional game, like you're just find find time, find another turn, find a chance to draw that land. I think those games can be really interesting and the comebacks feel really, really special. Do some of them feel more scripted? Yeah, absolutely. But I think I still stand behind the point that the the best game of Magic you can potentially play, like the most memorable and the one that you sort of unlock by these scenarios is where you are just up against it from the beginning and very, very narrowly find a way to turn the tide and play the rest of the game, not just like running away with it, but play with still in danger. I think that's a key element. Yeah, is that, that, if you those, just turn the that corner, is fun. That is fun. I definitely do yeah. like that. Which yeah. is weird. That's kind of like another problem with this format is that like you stabilize at, you know, five or seven and you're still just like, I have to keep an extra card back because of like Plasma Jockey or mm-hmm. any of the Blitz cards, really. Girder Goons, Pugilist. Yeah. You know? Uh, so it's like you're in danger, but you're in like real danger. And then you're just giving them time to draw to like Dusk Mangler or something. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the danger just is never stopping. It's just constant. Right. I Maybe it's being reductive, but basically what you're talking about, I can look back at the game and it's just like on turn eight, they drew a land. And that's, that is what gave you the breathing room to find your third land and start getting back into it. Where it's like, if they drew a two, two, you would have been dead. You know? Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that, but like, don't you think you could reduce most games to something like that? Like on turn two, they had the removal spell or on turn six, they had, their four mana play and two mana backup for a, a lot of the time, but that's how I look at it too. And that I think that that's just being analytical and for constructed, it's about figuring out what matters. Right. Yeah. And then for limited, it's just like, okay, being told what matters. Okay. In hindsight, like how did this game play out? What happened? What mattered? Was there, you know, something I could have done in like deck building or playing or mulliganing or whatever that would have affected this? Like basically just trying to figure out what's important. And like, that's how I look at all the games. And I'm not really living in the moment necessarily as much as you are, because I'm trying to do that analyzing and learning. Right. But I, yeah, I think, I think that you're, you're like really sweating those two turns where I'm just like, the important thing to me is kind of like, not the outcome, but how the game actually plays out and ends and i can't think about that until the game actually ends yeah yeah i feel you so the the fun stuff comes for me after the game ends mostly interesting interesting uh variations in our approach because you know a lot of our magic approach is very similar i think but it's it's funny to think the things that like get us amped where i i kind of suspend my disbelief and buy into those scenarios and you're just like yep just another scenario yeah you you like the game aspect and actually playing and maybe this is correlation causation or not, but I also think that I have probably played more games than you of yeah. magic, at least I'm sure that you yeah. have had me crushed in every other facet, but just at some yeah. point it's like playing the games themselves stops becoming exciting. And then I want to do the actual learning thing. And I think that maybe you are playing few enough games where you actually enjoy the games themselves. I think this is actually about professional wrestling, which is interesting. Oh my God. Dude, I would like I, to talk about Explorer at some point. Okay, I'll, I'll allow it. Go ahead, talk about Explorer. Is, no, is I'm, your, gonna, I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna make this real quick. Yeah, is your wrestling so, analogy short? I can make it short. Okay, it's just like suspension of disbelief. Like wrestling is obviously nonsense. None of it matters. It's stupid. But if in that moment you can just let yourself be like, oh, something's happening here. Right, and I don't is, like wrestling. Right, that's that's why you you don't like this limited format. What? No, I th- I mean. I'm not going to tell people that this format is good, but I I do enjoy it. Although thing that I will say 
and have given some feedback uh, to Andrew Brown about this is that I really enjoy drafting and opening sealed decks and like putting the decks together. Yeah, no, I agree. Really fun deck building process. And then, you know, playing the games and going through the motions, doing what the archetypes can do is fun to a degree. And I've done that. And it also feels like really bad and hopeless when you're on the other side of your opponent doing their thing. Yep. Fair enough. So I, interesting, interesting limited format. I'll say that it's it is given me a lot to think about. Um, I, so I like it. I would not say it's good though. Okay. That's fine. Anyway, we, we burnt out of this PTQ and yeah, not good. I am qualified for the next one because I got top two fifty mythic in limited. Yep. Mythic gamer. Congratulations. Which I did this once. I think I qualified for a thing off of constructed once and that was when I was trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And then in this instance, I was just like, I don't know, limited's fun. Maybe we'll do a limited show, get to hang out with, with Josh and talk about stuff. So this is cool. So I'm just doing this and enjoying myself for a lot of reasons. And then I just like kept winning. So uh, it's at some point, I think maybe early 20s of May, I got to like top 100 and I was like, oh, I'm just going to camp here for a little bit. And it was good enough. Well, I had to play, I had to play one more game. Okay. Which, which that was kind of fun. Uh, basically like yeah, a high stakes game. Yeah. We had, we had like 30 minutes left and I was at like two thirty, and then I checked back a couple minutes later and I was at like two thirty five or something. I was like, Oh no, we're, we're dropping like a rock, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's top two fifty. Yep. So, I looked at, they, they took down quick draft. I had a quick draft that was ongoing. So I lost that. I think my deck was pretty good. And then I had a best of one that I had drafted, but not played. And part of it was because I just Were you like, saving it in the holster. No, was it like a really good I, I just, I didn't, that would be sick. I didn't know how to build it. It was like this super weird, like kind of mono red deck, but three corpse appraisers and then like some blue cards and some black cards. Okay. And it, it was like, you know, beat down, but then actually just really controlling. And also, also probably had to be like 48 cards. Yeah. Or... Also like a ton of self mills. So I, yeah. I was like, well, I'm going to be like 44 at least, but I don't know. Uh, and I was just like, I'll come back to this later. And Cho was basically like, you know, if you had to play a game for your life, would you play with this deck? And I was like, I, I don't think so. You know? And then like the more I looked at it, I was like, you know, I have, I have this Maestro ascendancy for the late game, but like, it's not like I have a bunch of like murders and strangles to flashback, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just like, yeah, the more I look at it, the, just the more problems this has. Like, I'm just going to resign, draft it again, drafted a very good blue black deck, play, played round one, beat my opponent. And was it like 150? And I was like, all right, we're good. It's interesting that you could have just kept resigning to get a really good draft deck. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, it's bad. It's not a good yeah, system. It's good and broken. Uh, yeah, if you want to if you want to maintain, you know, for clout or whatever just be like oh, I'm, I'm number one mythic it's just like well just spend a bunch of money sort of interesting that's been the case for a long time too i think it like has. limited has kind of always been broken in that fashion yeah and it, i mean it's come up before people have talked about it but it costs you a lot so it's just like you know if someone wants to do that then more power to them i guess yeah but once i have all that clout i'll use it to be performative on twitter and then profit in some way i don't, I don't know some something will something good will happen no it's I the same thing with you getting a free preview card right it's like all right you get retweets and clicks and engagements and stuff but no one follows you as a result of it no one remembers that it's your preview card 
No one cares. You just reminded me, I have an exclusive Uprising preview card hitting my Twitter feed 4th of June. Be ready for it, people. I'll be there. Awesome. Probably because really I'm just always doom scrolling Twitter or whatever. But it's a good card. Anyway, qualifier at the end of the month is Explorer. And I have been looking at the format. Obviously, it is Pioneer minus some cards. And that makes it sort of weird where some of the archetypes that you would expect from Pioneer are present, but some of them aren't. And there's also just some stuff that you can't do because cards aren't there. And then because those cards aren't there, it means that people get to do other stuff. Mm -hmm. So from, I don't know, like looking at decks and like thinking about decks and the stuff that I want to do and everything. I think the thing that, there, there's like two things that are very clear that they are missing. First is the Delve Spells. Because yeah. it means all of these blue decks have to do something different than like Treasure Cruise, Dig Through Time, or Temporal Trespass. That's not a bad thing on its face. And I think even just like looking at Explorer compared to Pioneer, you can tell the difference of like what would happen if those cards got banned in Pioneer. And I think mm-hmm. it's just a good thing. Yeah, I, I buy that 100%. So that's funny. And that means that a lot of the decks are kind of going a little bit bigger, aren't aren't as lean, and you see stuff like Indomitable Creativity kind of being like the focal point in a lot of these blue decks. And, you know, some of them play Fire, some of them don't. You have like Courier's Briefcase as a Transmog target, which is kind of like the perfect card because you just turn two and then turn three Transmog, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so you, you still get to play like Fires Invention if you want to. There's a green card from Neo that you can channel to make a 1-1. So you have something to do kind of with your mana, even when you have Fires, because channeling is not casting a spell. Right. And then uh, Agent of Treachery is like the normal go-to, but now people are experimenting with Titan of Industry too, which is... Card Card is a house. I, I think it still has things to do in multiple constructed formats. Yeah, it does stuff. And then... I don't know, there are like fight rigging decks too that play it sometimes as a big thing to to rig into. These decks are not good though, right? Because this sounds really cool, but I, uh, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Look, you get to play a one-drop accelerator and then like a shakedown heavy or a rotting regisaur. I think mm-hmm. that in itself would be a an okay tier two deck. Okay. You know? And we've seen like Steel Leaf Champion type of stuff like show up yeah, and for sure. do well occasionally depending on what the removal looks like. And now you kind of have like this I win card. You get the uh, fight rigging to maybe play a really busted card ahead of time. But the problem is like, you don't have a backup to the fight rigging. And I don't know. What about the great henge? Well, see, yeah, the great henge is like the thing that you can fight rigging into, or it's a thing that you can cast for cheap. If you untap with your seven power thing. So it's kind of that, but it's not like, Great Hand would be a thing that you'd be like, oh yeah, this is this is my Explorer deck, right? This is what I'm doing. Like, it's not good enough on its own, but as a backup plan or a big thing to cast, it's okay. It's fine. Okay. The other thing that's missing is from building these aggro decks is just a lot of spots on the curve, and a lot of them are one-drops. And I think, you know, mono-red aggro is, is fine. It is an okay deck in explorer but you're also playing like fervent champion yeah for lack of better options and 
because you don't have things like Swift Spear and Eidolon of the Great Revel, it's like, well, I guess I'm the Torbrand Embercleave deck instead of more of what the Pioneer one looks like. Yeah, I, I wouldn't push back against the assessment that the biggest thing missing is the Delve spells. That seems pretty clear to me. But I think the second biggest thing missing is probably Monastery Swift Spear. Yeah, I, um, I agree with that. Because even the blue-red decks in Pioneer, a lot of them are prowess-based now. Yep, yeah, especially with the the printing of Ledger Shredder, we're starting to see some of these Izzet decks pick up. Um, and they look pretty good to me, quite frankly. I mean, also, they're reliant on Treasure Cruise as well. So it's not like you would do this uh, if you just were able to add Monastery Swift Spear. But I... I think it's a significant downgrade to the overall clock of the format that Correct. Monastery Swiss Spear is missing. Yeah, and things like Mono Blue Spirits show up, which just... Yep. I mean, granted, like, Spirits is okay in Pioneer, but if the aggro cards were better, obviously you'd not be seeing that stuff. Yep. So, Explorer's weird. It has kind of the same problems, at least in my eyes, as Pioneer does, where... I don't know. You, there's a lot of messed up decks where there's still the sacrifice decks or uh, food decks. So like there's Rakdos and Jund yep. and those are really hard to interact with. And there's the Grease Fang decks, which are also pretty hard to interact with and also are, are just like oddly consistent for a card that requires you to draw A and B with no alternatives, mm -hmm. which is kind of funny to me. Uh, and then there's like the creativity decks, which are kind of hard to interact with too. And they also just have a very robust late game. So then, okay, you have a format where these de decks exist along the poles and there's not great mid range or control tools to fight these decks. And this is, this is kind of like the, the format that Phoenix hates to be in right? because Phoenix needs its game game one plan to be at least okay. In a lot of instances, it's not because like you also don't get a lot of sideboard help because you're blue red and your reactive cards are typically bad with Arclay Phoenix itself. So you can't really sideboard all that much, you know? So I, I started Explorer by playing Phoenix and just like beat up on some creature decks. I, granted, Winota was still legal. That's like another thing is like Winota was recently banned. Mm -hmm. So I liked Phoenix initially, but now I'm just like, I, I really don't think I can do it. I don't think I can play Phoenix. So now I just think I have to play some like messed up deck and I don't really want to do that. I never enjoyed doing that in modern. I don't enjoy doing that in pioneer and I don't think I'm going to enjoy doing it here, but might be correct. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find a path forward. Like I, I want to find some sideways thing that is disruptive and, you know, like Ledger Shredder, Drown in the Lock, Thoughtseize type stuff that I know you would be really excited about should the pieces <laughs> all line up. I okay. Um, I was talking I was talking with Josh about the PTQs that are starting in July, right? Yep. And the vast, vast majority of them are modern pioneer. I think that there's one sealed one around me out of like 15. I was working on modern and pioneer, and I was trying to figure out like what cards I had to buy. I'll probably do some shopping this weekend at Command Fest since people are here, you know, whatever. And Josh is just like, I don't know why, why are you thinking about this? You know, you're just going to make some Grixis pile for modern or whatever. And he said that like, as I was just in the middle of typing a Grixis deck, <laughs> he felt it in his soul. And I'm just like, Ooh, this is awkward. Yeah. And so I told him about it. He's like, yeah, dude, I've, I've known you for 15 years or whatever. You know, this is not, this is not it's a surprise. You were headed this way. Yeah. And it's more of like an 11th hour type of thing normally where I'm just like, Oh wait, this would be great. But 
uh, in that moment, I was I was working on Grixis, and I was like, "Look, to be fair, I looked at it, and I don't I don't think it's good. I don't think it solves the problems that I want to solve." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "Yeah, sure, buddy. You know, give it give yeah. it a week. You'll have another thought." Right. Yeah. I mean, they're just such broad tools, right? If you, if you plan your deck appropriately, you should always win with Grixis, theoretically. When the tools exist, they don't always exist. They never exist. But that's, that's, that's the whole lie. That's the Grixis lie. For for the longtime homies out there who remember me and Majors being like the only ones jamming Jace Friends Prodigy in Modern and playing things like Pia and Kieran Nalar and Jorubai Merklurker and at times, and it was kind of embarrassing, it was not very good, but Peace Strider. Do you know Peace Strider? Mm. Oh, I've I've played Peace Strider in my decks before. Yeah, gain three life yeah, every four, time. Four mana, three, three artifact. Re- best card to gain life in Grixis because Brutality uh, was not out. Yeah, I played, when I mostly play, played Peace Strider was post Jace the Mind Sculptor, Stoneforge, Mystic Ban, and I would play it in blue-black control because it was the only way to gain life. Yeah. It was bad. Like, real bad. That whole deck was real bad. It was real bad, but I... I've also shown up on coverage where, you know, my opponent plays an idol on. I'm pretty low. I play a peace rider. I'm like, what's up? Now I'm at eight. I don't take any damage because this thing costs four. I have a three, three to block your two, two. Let's go. Like I said, the perfect answer for every situation. And sometimes that answer happens to be peace strider. Yeah. Sometimes it's just completely hideous. And then they, they print collective brutality and you're like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Never again. But, uh, Looking at it for modern, it didn't look it didn't look great. So we'll see. There are there are some like uh, really cool kind of like hybrid reanimator decks though. So I'm kind of looking into that. That kind of oh, okay, yeah, that's dope. Yeah, because like Shredder and then uh, McWin Sauce. I think I think only top thirty two. I think he got like seventeenth or eighteenth or something. Played a uh, Grixis reanimator that had like Ragavan Shredder Archon of Cruelty. Yeah, those are pretty real cards. And it's like, all right, yeah, they graveyard graveyard hate you, and you still have Ragavan Shredder to fall back on, you know? Yeah, or maybe like a hardcast Archon at some point. I don't think that's completely out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe if you're really going to work with Ragavan, but then you probably don't need to hardcast the Archon. Uh, hopefully not, yeah. So, I don't know. There, there are definitely some things where I'm like, I, I can get myself into trouble playing these bad decks, but we'll see. Can we just like big score as well, and then just... Just ramp. I mean, yeah, a big score is almost a perfect ramp into that thing. Yeah. But no, Brian, the answer is no. Oh, okay. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, Are you, I know you're going to be busy, but are you going to, you know, maybe play some Explorer LCQs with us or what's what's the deal? What are you thinking? When do they start? Uh, I would imagine in three weeks. Okay. Well, I'm going to be out of the country for a little over two weeks. I get back the end of June. Uh, so I'm going to be gone for a while. We'll see where things are at that point. Uh, you know, what else I have in my schedule and, and we could take it from there. I had a good time playing this round of sealed PTQs. So I, I would like to do it again. Uh, I like that you and Josh are engaged and working hard on it. That makes me want to be engaged and working hard on it. So as long as my schedule lines up, I think I'll, I'll probably get in the Explorer mix a little bit. Bro, you were there for like five hours. Like it wasn't even that, that long of a time. That's a huge time commitment for me. You have to say I understand. one of the biggest time commitments you've gotten from me in, in recent days. Uh, it is absolutely. I, w- I wish it was more. And it's also weird because you used to have like nothing but time. 
I know. It, it changes really quickly. Like life comes at you fast, bro, where you're just like, I have all the time in the entire world. I can do anything. And then you're like, time is gone. There were there, times an illusion. There were what definitely happened? moments where I was like, I, I can't imagine what would have to happen for my life to, to change dramatically. Cause like my life has gone through a lot of big shifts and upheavals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I always just kind of like rolled with it. And that was sort of normal for me. And then when my life got kind of stable, I was just like, yeah, this is like kind of it. But then it's just like, oh, well, actually now I'm moving across the country and working at Wizards now or whatever. And it's like, yeah, those things still happen. And yeah. even even in the last three years, it's happened like three times, you know, I, I like those things happening personally. Like, I like that my life is always under varying points of uh, commitment and stress and uh, like keeps it interesting work life. But yeah, I, I I mean like, will that always be the case? Will there reach a point where I'm like, man, I really want to reclaim some of my free time again. Totally possible. Um, but I also like the varying ups and downs and uh, you know, staying flexible, like you said. So I generally do too. It's just the last three years specifically have been bad. <laughs> just mostly downs, very it's, few ups. It's been like downs and in the worst possible ways. So I'm kind of over that. Yeah, I would sign you up for some ups. I think I think you're ready for those. So hopefully we can get those on the schedule pretty soon and, uh, you know, get that part of the cycle going again. It would be nice, but I'm, I'm still kind of in the same headspace where I'm like, yeah, I can't imagine what would have to happen for my life to change, you know? I don't know. So I mean, it's, maybe, it's maybe weird. Maybe I'll need a full-time uh, pond attendant. Is that something you would be interested in? I don't know, man. Who's watching the pond while you're gone? Uh, it's going to fall on Janelle mostly, and it's it's a lot It's It's Carl's I'm job. Concerned. Carl the coy. Well, Carl is working hard, for sure. Like, he does his part. He keeps, you know, the algae under control as much as he can. Uh, I, th- I see the turtles eating the algae all the time. So everyone's working hard. It's not like it's just me out there doing stuff. Hell yeah. Um, but I, I do feel like they've kind of looked – at me as a leader and I'm concerned what's going to happen when I step away for a little while. I know it is. It's scary stuff, dude. I I can't imagine like leaving my cats for a weekend, you know, even though I know I have a whole ecosystem I have to leave behind. I know it's, it's a lot more. And I will say that every time I've come home, my cats have been completely fine. Yeah. I expect most of the turtles and fish will probably still be there. Um, One of the good things about having these as my pets now is that uh, if something bad happens to them i probably don't know about it like they just kind of like float to the bottom of the pond and i don't have to deal with like a corpse or anything so yeah it gives me a lot of plausible deniability like if i don't see a specific frog i could just look at a new frog and be like oh maybe that's the frog and the other frog is fine somewhere i mean i I don't know so i had the cats in my backyard at my old place Mm -hmm. and ended up i I was gonna uh trap new to return or trap new to release all of them right that was my plan Yep. And I got the first one and she was just like too cute and precious and awesome that I just kept her. And then I went to try and get the rest of them and they were just gone. And, you know, like, like you said, like no, no bodies or anything. And it seemed like they were not abnormally scared of like humans or cars or anything. I think like scared the right amount scared about as much as I would expect. Right. Like they were definitely very, very cautious. And it's like, I can't imagine something like that happening to them. And I was feeding them. My neighbor was feeding them. I I think they kind of had it going on, like living in the hollowed out tree trunk in my neighbor's backyard or whatever. Yeah. Perfect. So I don't know what happened to them, but it's like that. It's just like, I don't know. And then like a new cat shows up 
uh, that was also orange. The other two were orange. And I was just like, are you, are you the same cat? I really don't think so. But like, okay, now I'm, I'm feeding you now. Yeah, I can believe this if I have to for my mental well-being. So just lean into the same cat theory. I mean, even if it is the same one, where'd the other one go? You're still That's down a sibling. So they they got adopted and they're living a great life uh, in someone's house. The way your cats are. Yeah. Exact same situation. Yep. I, I, I certainly hope so. Yeah, man. That was a, a good 10 minute talk about magic. I, I was here for it. I enjoyed all of it. And maybe we can do Tuesday next week. If not, I don't know what we're going to do, but it's not, it's not for like a lack of willingness. You know what I mean? Yes. Right. And once I'm in New Zealand, uh, you know, we'll find time to record. I'm not really worried about that. Yeah. It's just that, that travel schedule is, it's going to take me off my game for a little bit. So may, may have some internet issues from what I've Yeah, heard, we'll figure that out. We, we will figure I, I, it out. I think it's fine. I, I will have my phone with me. Worst case scenario. Honestly, uh, man, so. once you get settled, I, I don't think it's like a requirement that you get over jet lag or whatever, because if you're up at like 3 a.m. your time, it might be conducive to like recording anyway. Yep. But if if you are free at some point on the weekend, even and we want to mm. get out like two podcasts the next week, I, I would be fine with that. That's a wise idea. And then uh, I can very... find something to talk about that is. Not necessarily as time sensitive. Not that like this stuff was really time sensitive, but you know what I mean. Yeah, sure, that makes sense as as evidenced by this podcast, which I honestly couldn't tell you what it was about. It seems like we could always find something to talk about, so no worries. Oh uh, well, I mean, we we did podcasts that were kind of like the long form YouTube video sort of stuff. I have some of those ideas kicking around. Maybe we could do that. Okay. Yeah, we'll do one of those. I'm down. I'll check the notes on my phone because Excellent. once once they go into the notes on my phone, they disappear from my brain. Oh, yeah. Never see them again. And then I have to remember which notebook I put them in yeah. and which app I was using. So it's a real perilous process. I'm pretty good about knowing where they are. It's just whether or not I remember that they exist. Mm. And then if I remember not to do it. But I think I'm there. I think I have those steps covered. So you're you're talking about it right now. I feel like it's going to happen any minute now. Yeah, that, that's all I have to do is say it out loud, and then my brain yes. will remember it at least for a little bit. Or people could uh, they could message you on Twitter. They could they could performatively tell you to check your <laughs> notes. And... Yes, exactly. Uh, how do you say game in Kiwi? I, I game would be my guess. Are you going to come back with an accent? I hope so. That would be tremendous. I want to pick up at least one word that like when I use it, everyone listening is going to roll their eyes and you in particular are going to be really frustrated by it. But I really want to just naturally work it into my lexicon. I, I think you're going to end up with more than one of those. Awesome. I can't wait. Game. Good luck.